back to Ephesians, we're back I think to the usual programming and scheduling after Easter and, and the lovely sermon that Adrian preached last, last weekend on love. And this, this morning I have the privilege to stand before you and just give you <coughs> some thoughts as I have been seeking God on Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 14 to 19. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. This is a day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I pray that you speak to me and through me. Give me the unction to function. Make me a vessel and help us, Lord, to understand the glorious truths in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul, who was writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, writing it while in, in prison under house arrest, made this glorious, amazing prayer. And we'll just go into it and highlight some things that I think stand out for me. And he says in chapter 3 and verse 14, For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that, you, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and know this love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. I think I'll go into the doxology later. And as I've said, now Paul was just, yeah, good, thank you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask or think or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So this is something that came from a man who was under imprisonment. He's written this letter, he's written Colossians, he's written Philippians, and he's written Philemon or Philemon, depending on where you went to school while in prison, in chains, under Roman guard. And he's making a prayer here. And the first thing that you know, hit me when I was reading this, I, was, I, I have to confess, as I confessed before God, that I don't make these kinds of prayers. Not even on my most saintly of days do I make such high, lofty, wonderful prayers. And I was thinking, Paul, where are you? In what mindset and frame of mind are you that you would make this great, amazing prayer, especially when you have a Roman soldier two feet away from you or even, you know, just, just breathing up on your space? I think about home group and everywhere else, you know, when, when people say, what can I pray? How can I pray with you? I just think of the immediate problem that is on my mind, or the immediate concern that I have, or the thing that I've just heard. So it's just a lesson for me about the life of Paul. Because in all this, he didn't quite pray about himself. He didn't quite pray about his situation, or his imprisonment, or his discomforts. It was all about the glory of God, and all about 
the edification of God's people. And so there was a lesson there, and I think it ties with the fullness of God, which I'll come into. But the Bible, this text starts with for this reason, which means there's, there's, there's something that he's building up towards. There's, there's a reason he's, he's giving this as sort of like a therefore or a conclusion. And the reason is this. In the first, chapter, first half of the chapter 3, he's been talking about the mystery of Christ and the mystery of the gospel, which was hidden in ages past, hidden even to the prophets, hidden even to the men of God, but was now revealed in Christ Jesus. And the mystery is this, that Jews and Gentiles are one in the family of God. That through Christ, we, as the Bible says in Ephesians 2, we who were strangers, we who were pilgrims and people out there, have now become citizens of the kingdom of God and members of his household. The prophets didn't know this. Men of God of old didn't know this. Although Abraham was told that every nation on the earth will be blessed through you, that was a prophecy that will be fulfilled in Christ. He didn't know the extent of that blessing. You know, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 11 said that in the Messiah, the Gentiles will have hope. But even he did not know exactly how this would come about. People would know that the Messiah would come and he would be the deliverer of the, of the Israelites and, and he would bring you know, peace and righteousness to the world. But people did not anticipate the extent and how wide his reach would be, especially covering a people who do not belong to the children of Jacob, the children of Israel. And the mystery that unfolded through Christ's death and resurrection is that everybody who comes to him by faith, is welcome into the family of God. And now in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. All are one in Christ. You move from being a, a stranger to being a member. You, you move from being stateless as far as God is concerned to being a citizen of his kingdom. And this, you may have heard it, you may be hearing about it for the first time, but this was a profound mystery that confounded even the apostles in the first generation that Christ lived in. So much so that people still believed in Paul's time that it's great that you believe in Jesus Christ, but if you really want to follow him, surely you must be circumcised, or surely you must convert, or surely... So there are a group of people who were of the circumcision group, or who were known as the Judaizers, or people who still felt that, you know, there are certain precepts about the laws of Moses that still need to be kept and maintained by people who are coming to faith. And so this whole thing became so huge and complicated. At one point, you know, Paul and Barnabas were preaching and many people were coming to him, many people were coming to Christ and getting saved and, and some people were still insisting, that's all well and good, you know, but people from Syria, Phoenicia, Greece, Rome, wherever it is, Libya, wherever it is, people need to get circumcised and people since following the laws of Moses. And, you know, Paul had a stiff real contention with these people. And so it all came to a head when they then decided we're going to have this matter solved once and for all in Jerusalem. And so they went to Jerusalem and met the big, the big boys, the super apostles, and then they decided now let's have a, it was like a convention of sorts. And they gave the testimony of what has been happening in the, in the world out there because Paul had been assigned as an apostle to the Gentiles. He was coming and bringing testimonies of what God was doing through every people group. And by which point, Simon, 
also had his own testimony because he had preached to Cornelius and Cornelius had gone born again. He had received this vision about do not call unclean what the Lord has called clean. And Simon, although he had this backdrop of being a Jew, he even had trouble going into the house of a non-Jew. He had trouble having a meal with a non-Jew. So it's a huge deal. And so the council there in Acts 15 then said, okay, so we'll not give burdens to people who are not Jewish as barriers from them coming to faith because we ourselves are not even able to sustain these burdens. We ourselves are not even able to meet these requirements and neither were our forefathers or our fathers before that. So they just said four things, you know, abstain from it. Three actually pertained to food, which was the funny thing. So it was sexual immorality, which is fine. And then, and there, you know, meat that is of a strangled animal. Okay, random. Okay, blood. Who does that? Um, and then there was then meat that had been polluted by being offered to idols. So I think all of us would be fine, I think, except those who are Masa. Their Masa is here. You just need to... I mean, it's in the New Testament now. So I think apart from that, they were all good. <laughs> then they were told, okay, fine, you now... There is now no barrier. The curtain in the temple was torn into two. Everybody who believes has access. And that is the great and profound mystery. Me and, you know, the great, 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 great grandson of Jacob stand on equal footing in the presence of God. And so he says, because of this profound mystery, I kneel. So kneeling was not the typical posture of prayer in, among Jews. It was standing, raising hands as we do today. And so kneeling, of course, the Bible is not, you know, emphatic and dogmatic about the posture of prayer. We have, you know, a lot of examples of people praying in different postures and standing and all those things. But there's enough examples. People like Daniel who were kneeling three times a day in the room as they were praying over Jerusalem. People like Solomon who was kneeling before the temple as he was dedicating the temple in Second Chronicles chapter 6. And Paul who was kneeling here, Jesus knelt. So there's, there's enough evidence or illustrations or examples to show you that it's a, it's a good thing to do. But it's a posture of intensity and humility. In, in light of his profound mystery and this revelation that has been given by the Spirit of God in light of what Christ is and what and of what Christ has done, he kneels and prays to the Father from whom every family on earth and heaven derives its name. And, and the point here is that God is the Father of all who believe. As the Bible says in John 1.12, to those who believed in him, he gave them the right to be called sons of the Most High. He gave them the right to be called children of God. Every person who comes to God by faith gets adopted into the family of God and God becomes their father. And then those who belong to him, those who follow Jesus, pray as Jesus taught to pray, our father. And on top of that, the Spirit of God indwells every believer and bears witness as the Spirit in them groans, Abba, Father. So everybody who believes derives their identity from God. And that's at an individual level and that's at a family level. Every family in heaven and on earth, even those who have gone before us, the faithful who have died before us, even those call God Father. So we are in a sense in one family. Those who are faithful departed and those who are here on earth as sojourners and pilgrims, we have a common brotherhood in the faith and we have a common fatherhood in God. And he prays that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I don't think I need to talk about the glorious 
riches of God. We know God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We know that silver and gold belongs to him. We know that God has said if he was hungry, he would not tell us. It's a bit hurtful, but it's true. It's factual. He has all the resources, all the power, all the dominion, all the... I mean, if you look at astronomy and if you look at what they keep discovering about the universe, about the galaxies, it's mind-boggling what God has done and what God has. It's mind-boggling to think that the number of stars in the universe could be more than the number of grains of sand in all the beaches. Diani, Mtuapa, Mpeketoni, all that combined might actually be less than the number of stars in the universe. It, it's just mind-boggling that you know the, the stretch, the expanse of the universe is more than 14 billion light years. There are figures that you just hear and accept because they, just, they, they surpass a scale that is relatable. And so God is gloriously rich. And, he, and it, Jesus, the Bible says that f- though he was rich for your sakes, he became poor so that out of his poverty, you might become rich. And Jesus did this whole glorious exchange thing. Exchanging beauty for ashes, exchanging sorrow and for, for rejoicing. He, he did all of these things. And Paul is praying that out of the glorious riches of God, you may find strength through his spirit in your inner being. Some versions say your inner man. There's an inner being and an outer one. And there's different ways and different strategies for strengthening uh, the two. So the outer one is what you can see, what everybody sees. And my friend CG Leader is not here. He can give us tips on how to strengthen the outer, the outer man and the outer being. And there's well-documented strategies that go into it. And most of us uh, either do it half-heartedly or do it with very mixed results. But then the important thing, I mean, the, the, you know, what the, we are comprised of three aspects or three elements. The body, the soul, which, which, in which sits the mind, the will, and the emotions, and then we have the spirit. And now Paul is talking about the spirit. You can also, just as you have strategies for being strengthened physically, there's strategies for being strengthened inwardly. And inward strength, first of all, comes by knowing God. First and foremost, your spirit moves from death to life. And what separates us is sin. So sin is the great separator. And because sin is separation, we, we are dead because the wages of sin is death. So before we come to Christ, our sins have separated us from God, and therefore we have no eternal life. But once we believe in him, we transition from death to life. And on top of that, the Spirit of God comes into us and gives us strength. And that strength can be, you know, starting with a deposit, which guarantees your eternal salvation and keeps increasing in measure. So you can be stronger spiritually and you can be weaker spiritually. And one of the things about spiritual strength is obviously prayer is integral to spiritual strength. So as you pray in the spirit, your spirit is strengthened. As the Holy Spirit empowers you, your spirit is strengthened. And that manifests in different ways. And so Paul is praying for your and ours spiritual strength. He prays that we may be strengthened. Because without some aspect of the Spirit's help and strength, we will not be able to even grasp spiritual realities. We will not be able to walk in spiritual truth. So there's that aspect that is God's business and God's prerogative, and we pray that he does it for us. But there's also another aspect that's our business and our prerogative and our responsibility. Because the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. A person will reap what they sow. So if you sow, if you, if you sow to please the flesh from the flesh, you will reap destruction. And if you sow to, to please the Spirit from the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. 
So the flesh is not necessarily just the, um, the tent. It's, it's a way of thinking that is worldly and anti-God and is not renewed by the Spirit of God. So there is something to be done by praying, by fellowship, by you know, even fasting on occasion and witnessing and taking in the scriptures in copious amounts and just feeding yourself good, healthy, sound diet so that you transition from the sincere milk of the word of God to the meat of hard doctrine and growing and growing in strength in the spirit. And that's Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus and I believe his prayer uh, applicable to all churches in the world, including Renewal Church Nairobi, that we may be strengthened in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in uh, your hearts through faith. So everybody who believes invites Christ into the hearts and Christ makes his dwelling. That's what he says in like John 15, for example, and he says he's, he, he's the vine and we're the branches. And he's the door as well. So when, when you invite him into your hearts, he comes and make a dwelling in your hearts through, through faith. And he prays that you being rooted and established in love. So not just in love. I think Adrian was talking about yesterday, last, last weekend that you know, love, love is, a, is, a, is a word that has so many thousands of meanings today. But this is obviously the agape love, the love of God and the love from God. And not that you just have it or just that you be rooted and established. Metaphors from construction and agriculture. You be planted properly. It just brings to mind, you know, Psalm chapter 1 that says, Blessed is the person who is planted by the streams. He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the seat of scoffers or um, move in the way of sinners, but they are planted by the streams and they yield fruit in every season. So God's will and purpose and design for our lives is that we be rooted, have deep roots in him, have deep roots in God and be established in, in love and have power together with all of God's holy people to grasp certain things. And before we talk about certain things, is that part about all of God's holy people? I think we are all in this journey together. The journey of growing in faith and in love and the journey of being strengthened in the inner being and the journey of having this kind of faith and this kind of spiritual deposit and this glorious inheritance is together with all of God's holy people. I've met people who say, me and God are like this. We are tight. We are so close. The dew of heaven. You know, the aroma of Christ surrounds it's just that i don't like the people around here but um you know the vertical just got me and the worship experience is amazing but whoever it is that i met at the counter so i think there has to be a correlation between what you're experiencing with god and what you're experiencing with other people if you say you love god whom you have not seen and yet you hate your brother whom you have seen then you are not in the truth for whoever loves god must love his brother, his sister. And so together with all of God's holy people, and we being one body, will, when it comes to testimony time, we'll all have unique experiences and testimonies about who God has been to us. Not everybody has seen God as deliverer. Not everybody has seen God as provider. Not everybody has seen God as miracle worker. Not everybody has seen God as a change maker. We've all experienced the goodness of God, but it just pops out in different dimensions 
in people's lives. And I love to hear people's testimonies. So that together with all of God's people, we may grasp how wide the love of God is. And, and when you think about the width of the love of God, I, I don't know what comes to mind because it's like we're giving dimensions to things that almost have no dimension or things that are beyond estimation. It's like we're trying to describe the indescribable or we're trying to measure the infinite. But when we describe or talk about the width of God, I don't know what comes to mind. I mean, I think about for God so loved the world so that whosoever, and these are the words of Jesus, whosoever believes shall not perish, but shall come from death to life. Everybody is invited. It's not narrow in the sense of a select group of people. It's not narrow in the sense of this and that and the other. It's wide enough to encompass everybody who believes. Whosoever believes is invited to the table. We didn't sing that song today, but that song of that, he's got the whole world. In his hands. And that's where my sing anointing ends. I shall focus. I shall play to my strengths. Which is the ministry of the word of God. And the love of God is long. And when you think about how long it is, I think the question to ask yourself is, how long has God, for how long has the love of God been flowing towards you? And, and for how long will it endure? And the Bible says in Ephesians 1 that, from eternity past, from the foundation of the world, he chose you in love. The love of God has not just, you may just be experiencing it recently in recent times or today for the first time or you've never experienced it, you don't have a personal experience of it. But I'm here to tell you that the love of God has been flowing in your direction, targeting you specifically from eternity past. It might just be a question of when you will receive it, or not when you will receive it, when you will realize. Because his love is from eternity, from the foundation of the world. He chose you in love. And his love is from everlasting to everlasting. Which means he will never stop loving you. It will never happen. Many things can happen, but it will never happen. He will never stop loving you. And that's how long it is. If, if human words could describe it. And when we think about the height, I think about, you know, Psalm chapter 36 and verse 5, which says, Your love, Lord, reaches the heavens and your faithfulness to the skies. The height of the love of God and the depth of the love of God brings to mind a, the text in Philippians chapter 2, I think from verse 6 to 9, which says that, Consider him, Jesus Christ, who being in the essence and nature, God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking the form of mankind, took the form of a lowly man and became obedient and even to the point of death, and not just death, but death on a cross. That, what we call the incarnation, the Son of God being highly exalted, being in very nature God, 
coming down and taking the form of a man was, it's like descending. Because he was on high and he came, he came here. And he came here to demonstrate the depth of his love. And, and the Bible says that God demonstrates it. First of all, he came, you know, it's just, it's just like a skating down. And even Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 9 even puts it this way. It says, he descended into the lower earthly regions. He just went deep. He went deep. And he did it for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. He hadn't even secured a commitment, a tick box, a decision in advance. He didn't know how many would gather on church on Sunday morning on a given day in April 2023 to lift up arms in worship to him. Even before, he, even before you had made that commitment, while we were still in sin, he came and died for us. Now, when I, that hits me. I don't know how that hits you. That hits me different. There's, there's, there's this uh, profound gratitude that I have. And, and some people have accused me of not being very expressive with my emotions. But I will use an aid here to illustrate the kind of feeling that comes to my heart whenever I think about this scripture. It may or may not be relatable to you, but, but it's... It's a need because for me, there's, there's joy unspeakable. There's happiness galore. There's excitement and excitos. There's all, it makes me feeling some different type of way when I think that he did it for me. Where's my little video? Here come bad news, talking this and that. Yeah. Well, give me all so when I think about that one sheep, I could be that one sheep that Jesus came for. If I was the only one, that would be enough for him. And I may not, I may not be thriving in my outer body, in my outer being, but as I'm wasting away or growing in the image of God, inwardly I am being, I am being renewed. And Paul's prayer is that we, we would know this love that surpasses knowledge. And you might think, how do you know something that surpasses knowledge? It's almost describing the indescribable, measuring the immeasurable, wrapping your minds around the infinite. How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? It's by, it's, it's, it's different kind of knowing. It's knowing by personal experience. God's desire is that you know this love by personal experience. We can stand, sit, talk about it, describe it all day for three days, but you have to experience it yourself. I'm trying to bring scriptures and words and illustrations to describe something that can only be known by personal experience. And your personal experience, I hope you will realize surpasses your understanding of it. When I think about me, the wretch that I am, the wretch that I was, I was thoroughly unqualified, thoroughly undeserving, thoroughly unworthy. 
I was not a, like, I'm not one of those people who say, you know, God, God, a bargain on me. Thank the people of God that I am in the kingdom. I'm a big catch. I don't have a sense of, I, I believe I'm thoroughly undeserving. And it boggles my mind why he would do it for me. And why his love would flow towards me. And I pray that you too would have that personal experience. One that is not bound by the limitations of what you could understand or what anybody could understand. One that is a deep and personal affirmation and experience of the love of God. And that you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. This is yet again another mind-boggling aspect of the prayer. Because how can one be filled to the measure of the fullness of God? You know, when Solomon was dedicating the temple, I used him to, as, as one of the people who was kneeling while praying. It's in Second Chronicles chapter 6. When he was dedicating the temple that he had built for God, he knelt and, and one of the things he said is that, you know, this temple cannot contain you. Even the heavens of heavens cannot contain you. But God was pleased to make that a dwelling place for himself. And there's an interesting parallel that some have drawn that I also find interesting. So Solomon in 2 Chronicles 6 was kneeling to dedicate the temple. And Paul is kneeling to pray for the people of God, whom he had described in the previous chapter as being built into a holy temple in the Lord. So now the temple in the new dispensation is made of you and me. It's not made of brick, mortar, cement, or stone. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 that it is the foundation of the building of God's household that in which was laid the apostles and the prophets. And Christ Jesus himself was the chief cornerstone. And we are the members of that body. And in Christ, we are all being built up into becoming a holy temple before the Lord. So you and I are that temple that is being built up. You and I are parts of it. And the apostles are in the foundation. And Christ Jesus is the cornerstone of it. And Paul is kneeling to dedicate this holy temple before God. And he prays that, he, that you may be filled with the fullness of the measure of of God. The one person of this became true was obviously Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 that in Christ the fullness of deity, the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. So Christ demonstrated it, what it means, what it meant to have the fullness of God in him. And that's the prayer too. So it's just praying that you would be like Christ, that the fullness of God would dwell in you. That sounds fantastic, but I'm sure it has an element of removing something because I could be full of myself. And if I'm to have the fullness of God in me, it means the self part would have to, would have to go out. I can't be full of God and myself. One would have to give way to the other. And as John said, when people were telling him, hey, you know, Jesus is now becoming a big deal, John the Baptist, what do you have to say about that? You used to command the crowds, you used to bring the people, you are the headline act in the River Jordan. Now, you know, who is trending? Not John, but Jesus. And he said, I must decrease and he must 
increase. He must become greater, I must become less. Because he viewed his role as just preparing people for the bridegroom, and now the bridegroom has come. So I too, like John, I want less of me and more of him. Now when you see or realize or experience all of these things, it then is no surprise that the, what is called the doxology is put smack there and not at the end of the letter. Because once you have this great realization, the response is just to worship and to praise. In light of all that God has done, in light of all that he is, in light of all that he has revealed. It just flows into verse 20 that says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, above and beyond all we can ask or think or imagine, to him be according to the power that is in us, to him be the glory forever and ever. I want to finish with the last slide, which is, a, which is, an, interesting, which is an interesting painting that hangs. It's not supposed to be that blurry, but it is. Um, it, hangs, it hangs in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. It's called Light of the World. It's by an artist called William Holman Hunt. It took him five years to do it. Um, the interesting thing about this is, essentially, especially for those at the back, you have the figure of Christ knocking at a door. And there's, there's a couple of things in the background, but I'll focus on a few things. One is holding a lamp, which brings to mind, you know, what the scripture says in Psalm 119.105, that your word, O God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And then he is standing at the door and he is knocking a door. Now, the door really does look as it appears to you, not because of pixelation, in that it is an oldish, worn-out looking door with all sorts of twigs and weeds and plants growing over it, meaning that it probably has not been open in a very, very long time, and hence it's overgrown. And a closer look would reveal that the door has no handle, at least not on the outside, meaning it can only be opened from the inside. And it brings to mind what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20, which says, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with them and they with me. This lofty, high-sounding spiritual description of God's people and God's work, it could be like things that just fly over the head. Or it could be a treasure in your heart that endures forever. And the invitation is that that truth which has been proclaimed would make that treacherous journey from the head to the heart. Sometimes it's a quick journey. Some people say it's 14 inches, 18 inches. I think it depends on your height and, you know, the kind of neck you have. <laughs> but whether it's 10, 12, 14, 18 inches, it could be a very, very long distance from this to translate to this. And that is what actually needs to happen. For you, A, to be in the family of God, 
to be the recipient and beneficiary of the heritage and blessings that we've just talked about today. Because make no mistake about it, you, you must be born again to experience what we are describing today. You simply must be in the family of God. And I pray that you would be. Because it's glorious and wonderful. It's a treasure that is beyond description, beyond imagination. And he who has done it all for you and me is the same one that stands at the doors of our hearts today and knocks. Whether there's weeds, that, that thing, he can sort it out. Whether there's a padlock, let alone, let alone twigs and weeds, he can sort it out. Whether the door has never been opened, whether since 2006 or 1995 or has never, ever, ever been opened, he can sort that out. He just asks you to let him in and have fellowship with him and transform your life now and forever. So it is my prayer that, that you would, would respond. It is my prayer that you would be reminded of his great, great, great blessing and be encouraged that you are known and loved beyond what you could possibly dare hope. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you this day for your spiritual truth and revelation. And we thank you for the heritage and inheritance and blessing and privilege that we have in you. We thank you for all you did to demonstrate your love for us, going and dying for us that while we're still sinners. We thank you because there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not angels, not demons, not the present, not the future. Not height, not depth can separate us from the love of God. And we pray that we would experience that love personally, that we would know that love which surpasses knowledge. We pray that you'd wash us with your presence, embrace us with your goodness, and cause your goodness and mercy and grace to run after us and engulf us in you. And I pray that these promises and these realities will be true in our lives. They would be indeed yes and amen in Christ. We pray that we would have boldness and confidence to come to you knowing that indeed, if you have given us Christ, your most treasured, treasured, treasure of all treasures, would you then not also along with him graciously give us all things? We pray that we would walk in that reality that reflects who we are and whose we are. In Jesus' name, amen. It's so nice to see you, so glad you're here.